You have an outline there in uh, page 7. We're talking about hope, and we're in the book of Luke this morning. Hope is uh, desire plus expectation and pleasure and joy that derives from both. Desiring something gives us pleasure, and then expecting something gives us pleasure. So when we have great desire for something that increases the pleasure, and we have a high level of expectation that we will receive what we desire, that gives pleasure. So that's hope. Now remain faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. This morning we're looking at Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist and Elizabeth, and he represents dead hope when hope doesn't work. And I'm glad to talk about him because he identifies with the most. He is uh, every man. Now, we have Mary, who is a teenager, older teenager, is faced with an angel and tells her that something that's never happened in history is going to occur and she's going to have a child uh, before she's married. Now, Mary says, uh, now, how's that going to work? And the angel explains it to her. And then she says, uh, what does she say here? I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. So she immediately responds uh, to the angel and accepts what he has told her. And then we had Joseph. And he has found the love of his life, this beautiful young girl who's obviously committed to the Lord. She pens a song based on Hannah's song to express her joy at what God has done and allowing her to be the mother of the Messiah, the anointed one, the Prince of Peace. And, but then Joseph is disappointed to find out that she is expecting. And, and they haven't married yet. And that creates a problem. And he uh, gallantly and valiantly and justly and mercifully says, let's not make a big deal out of this. Let's just quietly break this betrothal and not bring any shame on her. And then an angel comes and explains to him in a dream, this is uh, in her is of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph wakes up, and what does it say he does? Immediately, immediately. He takes her as his wife. No lagging in disobedience. If this is God's plan and this is God's will, then I want to get to it. So I'm inspired and awed and encouraged by Mary and Joseph. But that's not always me. And it may not always be you. I find myself more and Zechariah, because sometimes I'm prone to get doubt the power of God. Can he do what he's promised? And the will of God, will he do what he has promised? I look at circumstances and then think God can't overcome that. But worse than that, I have been known to doubt whether God cares. 
about me. And by doing that, doubting his care, his love, his concern, and his power, I, what's the opposite of glorify and magnify? I belittle God. And that's not exactly my job as a human being, as a creature from his hand. Certainly it's not my calling as someone who has been called into the kingdom of God through the death of his son. Uh, I should be the one like Mary or like Joseph saying he can and he will. Now, I hope I'm not alone this morning. I know this room is filled with saints that never doubted the power or the love of God. But if there might be one or two here this morning, we're going to look at Zechariah. I call him every man, Zechariah and the death of hope. You have an outline there in page 7 in what the scripture begins in what? Over here at the beginning, we have the story of John the Baptist before we have the story of Mary. And they are, uh, Jesus, they're skillfully intertwined. In fact, uh, if you look at verse uh, 20-something, if I can read it, 26 or somewhere, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. And the sixth month of what? That's the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy. And so, see, the two are tied together. And the author, Luke, just so skillfully brings you back and forth, back and forth. So it comes first. In the time, it says in chapter 1, verse 5 of Luke, in the time of Herod, king of Judea. Now, stop there. This is, uh, this is an interesting deal. Herod is not Jewish. He's, he's Idumean. That is to say, he is descended from Esau, the son that rejected the covenant promise for some food and then went off to the east and started you know, the uh, Edomites, the Idumeans. So he is actually from the group that the, the, the child that rejected the promise. And then when Israel was coming from Egypt back into the land, uh, Esau's ancestors actually fought against and opposed their fellow children of Abraham and tried to keep them from coming into the promised land. And so God said in prophecy, and it happened because, I mean, they had the Red City they had uh, fortifications. They had trade routes. They were quite a civilization. And God said, because you fought against your brother Israel, you shall be destroyed. And that nation was destroyed. It is no longer there. You can see some remnants of it. But, of course, they were not all uh, eliminated, annihilated. And so here we see, coming to power about 4 B.C., this uh, Esau descendant, this Edomite, Herod, is king of Judah. Well, how did he become king? Because he had a wonderful ability to choose the right victor in a battle, a Roman general victor, and then uh, cozying up to that 
a victorious general and senator, and become, get appointed as king of Judea, he also had the ability to keep an oppressed people oppressed. He was cruel and vindictive, but he did his job. He was also, by the way, a great architect. He built amazing structures in Israel. Of course, that was what helped uh, Mary and Joseph to be poor because he came, he got it from taxes that were extracted by the Roman army. And uh, he's worthy of study. In fact, it's interesting when Paul is before him and, ooh, who was the other guy, the other Roman uh, guy? Paul is preaching. He says, I'm here because of the promise made to my people. God, Paul was trusting in the promise. And here it said, uh, you think you're going to convince me to be a Christian just with one speech? And uh, Paul said, King Herod, do you believe the prophets? I know you know the prophets. Do you believe them? So apparently he had an opinion of Herod, Paul did, who had studied the prophets. Well, after all, that's how he knew where Jesus would be born, by studying the prophets in Bethlehem, and sent soldiers to kill all the little children. And so the three of them, uh, Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus, fled down to Egypt. Remember that? So here's an interesting character. It's a time anchor. It's an historical uh, stake in the ground. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, in fact, Herod ruled from like 4 B.C. until like 36, 37, 38, uh, throughout before and after the life of Christ. Now, there was a priest named Zechariah. You know, there's an Old Testament book named Zechariah uh, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife was also a descendant of Aaron. Zechariah means uh, God remembers, Zechariah. You can see the Yahweh at the end there. Zechariah, God remembers. That's what the book of Zechariah, the prophet, is about. And the whole point here is that Zechariah, and he does in his song, which we'll see in a moment, called the Benedictus, he remembers the promise of God. So when you hear Zechariah, we should be reminded Remember the promise of God. And then that raises the question, can he and will he? Okay? So let's see how Zechariah does the test. He was of a priestly division. Um, there were about 20,000 priests at this time through multiplication in Israel. And um, they divided them up in divisions, and each of them would serve for a month, uh, attending the temple sacrifices and other things. And uh, he was of the division of Abijah, which is an ancestor, uh, a child of Aaron. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. And that's pretty good. A priestly descent marries a woman of priestly descent. That's pretty good. Being a woman and marrying a man from Maryland. I want to keep the race pure. I want to be a Marylander. My family is, uh, came from Ireland and Virginia and then uh, fought in the Revolutionary War and there are a couple of captains there of militia and they received land grants in Oxford, North Carolina, which is north of Durham. And Oxford was named the Earl of Granville as Granville County. And so they took his land after the Revolutionary War and gave land grants. So you, I can go back to the uh, 
regional homestead uh, where Captain James Curran, as a Daughters of the American Revolution thing, called the Captain James Curran, D-A-R, uh, Captain. I, I share that with you to let you know that when you have people living a long time in an area, you get all these cousins. So I have a cousin whose last name is Curran, and he's married to a cousin, a woman whose last name is Curran, and they live on Curran Road. <laughs> so here Zachariah had married Elizabeth, who was also of priestly descent. Both of them were upright in the sight of God. Well, what does that mean? They observed the Lord's commandments. They kept the law. Uh, James and John tell us that the def one definition of sin is breaking God's law because sin is lawlessness. And so we define sin as any transgression of or lack of conformity unto the law of God. It's just a simple, someone asks you, well, is such and such sin? You know, they just want to trap you. And say, well, sin is any transgression of or lack of conformity unto the law of God. Don't fall into the trap. Just answer it that way. Well, then, they, well, what is the law of God? And you say, well, we have this thing in English. You're welcome to read it. You figure it out. I'm not going to fall into your trap and answer that question. But by the same measurement, these people kept the Lord's commands that made them righteous and regulations. You see, the law has three parts. It has uh, ceremonial parts, and it has moral parts, and it has, what's the third part? Civil, thank you. The, the things that only apply to Israel. And now that Israel is no longer a, a nation state, although it is, uh, we don't follow those civil laws. And then there are uh, uh, moral and, uh, oh boy, I'm forgetting my whole thing. What was that? Ceremonial. Ceremonial. Because Christ came and fulfilled the law, we no longer have to keep those ceremonies. Aren't you glad of that? Just read the bunch of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I mean, who can even keep up with them? And we don't have to keep that. But the moral law, as encapsulated in the Ten Commandments, is true for everybody, not just Christians. It's called natural law or moral law. It applies to everybody. In other words, no one should be murdering. No one should be stealing. And we recognize that. They not only kept the moral law, the commandments, they kept the regulations, the, uh, the ceremonial law. They were blameless. And so they were blessed of God, and they were fruitful and rich and had many children, but they had no children. Now, the, the psalm says that uh, children are a blessing of God. So surely if anybody's going to be blessed with children, it would be this couple who were both descendants of Aaron, priestly, and were keeping the, both the moral commandments and the ceremonial regulations. Well, there's that but, they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. She, people assume this was a curse from God, because a natural course would be to have children so that your name could be passed on, they could inherit the land that Joshua and the Israelites had won and apportioned, 
but this is not the case. And not only that, they were very old. They were past the point that they could have children. So their hope for children had been dashed. Hope, what did I say, had died. This is not going to happen. We know they wanted it because uh, later on, the angel says, your prayer has been answered, you're going to have a child. So they had prayed year after year, decade after decade, until all hope was lost. But they were still serving God and honoring God. Now, his division was on duty, and that was the Abijah division that comes down there. He was serving his priests before God. They were doing the sacrifice and the incense. He was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple and burn incense. When you got 20,000 20, uh, priests and you burn incense twice a day, not everybody gets to do it. It's a great honor because all the other priests would leave and that one priest would take the incense, the new fresh incense, and burn it before the presence of God. And if you got to do it once in your lifetime, it was a great honor. But not everyone got to do it because it was, if you got too many, you know, how are you going to decide? And so they cast a lot. It fell to Zechariah, so before he passed away, he was going to have this great honor. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then the angel of the Lord, now this is a big deal, because when Malachi ends, there's no more revelation from God for 400 years. That's called the silent years because God did not speak through any prophet for 400 years. And there's a lot of biblical history that went on. Now all of a sudden, a 400-year silence is broken. So an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right hand of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. See, I told you. People were scared at Christmas. Christmas is scary. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Now, it's in one of these Greek tenses called eris, which is punctiliar. It's not continuous, continuing past, present, future. Bam, one time. I got shot. Bam, you know, I'm not being shot. I'm, I was shot. And it almost implies your prayer was answered at a point in time, and now it's being fulfilled. Have you thought about prayer that way? You pray, and God says yes, and at the proper time. In fact, if you look down here in verse uh, 20, my words, the angel said, Gabriel, will come true at their proper time. So you might have prayed prayers that God has already said yes to and their proper time will be fulfilled. Prayer is a strange thing, isn't it? But that's what happened here. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to give him the name John, which means God is gracious. It's the most, historically the most popular name in all Western civilization. And we played a game sometime about what's John in the various languages. 
I've done that with therapy. You know what that is? You know, what is it in Italian? Giovanni. What is it in Spanish? Juan. What is it in French? Jean. Here's a trick. What is it in Russian? Ivan. Would Ivan the Terrible be terrible if it was John the Terrible? Name him John, because it means God is gracious. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will bring, he will bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and then disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Do you have any cross-references in your Bible? Doesn't that say Malachi? There will come. Uh, and who even names him Elijah. And that's why Jews at Passover will have an empty chair. They're waiting for Elijah to return and usher in the Messiah. But Jesus said, John the Baptist, if you will receive it, is Elijah. He's the forerunner in the power and spirit of Elijah, and he's preparing the way for me, the Messiah. And then Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? Now, remember we said that if you have high uh, uh, hope is desire plus expectation, and if you have a high level of expectation is confidence, and if you have the highest level of expectation is assurance that you will get it. So, Zechariah is saying, how can I be sure? I don't have a very high level of expectation that this is going to happen. So, you've got to give me some assurance that what you just said, that God just said, is going to happen. Say what? Is that what you would expect from a priest of God? Standing in the Holy of Holies, burning incense to God, who all his life has kept the commandments and the ordinances of God? I don't believe God is able or willing. So I'm going to whip out a contract, and you've got to put down a deposit <laughs> as assurance that you're going to keep this deal. Woo! But that's me. That's me. And, 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 and Zechariah explains himself, I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. You know, it can't happen. The evidence is against it. You know, the resources aren't there. Uh, as far as I can tell, this is, this is, this is not going to happen. Now, we have to do what is right in the sight of God and man, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 8. He was talking about money. But that applies to a lot of things. And we're supposed to use the brain that God gave us. And remember I said I got these two girls that I always consult. Faith and prudence. And prudence says, do you have the resources? Is this the right time? And faith says, has God promised? And you can see those two things are, are warring 
or you could see them as using my head and the heart. Because you get them together and you can get a pretty good solution. But it's easy to go too far one way or too far the other. If it's too far faith, it, it can become presumption. I know what God is going to do. I know when he's going to do it. I know how he's going to do it. And uh, I've just had a sign. I had a voice. I want it. It must happen. It's just presumption. And a lot of Christians get led astray that way, particularly in the uh, prosperity gospel. God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, but apparently not wise. And so that presumption and then, but we can be too prudent and, and say, only if the circumstances are right, if everything is right. And the proverb said, hey, the timid man never plants. It's going to rain today. See those clouds? Can't plant. There's a line loose. Can't plant. Look at the circumstances. And this is where Zechariah found himself. He looked at the circumstances and he said, this won't work. But in doing that, he said, I don't care what God says. Now, you've got to have a promise of God to anchor that on. And uh, Zechariah did. In his, in his song, he says, your promise to our fathers. And you have a footnote that says, Abraham, Genesis 12 and 15. And, they, and Mary refers to that promise. And Zechariah prefers that promise, a promise they were carrying with them generation after generation through Roman occupation and domination and taxing and an Idumean Herod being put as their king. And they were still holding on to that promise because they said God keeps his promises, but sometimes he's got his own timing. And if he wants 400 silent years to prepare the proper display piece for the coming of the Messiah, that's what he'll do. And if he wants you to be old and past time to answer that prayer, that's what he'll do. And so that's what the angel says. He said, look. He says, uh, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And you're doubting it. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words. Which is to say, you, don't, you didn't believe God. You believe the circumstances. You're being so prudent that you forgot God. And you're looking only at circumstances. I was at a church and I was in charge of the, a lot of things and we had a very detailed budget process. It was a large church. And, and so we started out with this committee that we appointed, and it would look at all the past giving and the year and the economy and the projected, and it would recommend a percentage, either zero or one or five percent to grow the budget. And we would use that information to help build our budget. And I was there for two years in a row, and I noticed that two years in a row, the committee recommended zero percent growth. I said, well, wait a minute, you know, we had $80,000 left over at the end of December last year, and the year before that, $90,000, and the first thing we did at the first meeting of the elder board in January was figure out how to give that money away. So 
what are you thinking? The church has grown by 10% in numbers. The number of giving units has increased. Yeah, but we just see things that might happen in the economy, blah, 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 blah. And I scratched my head and I went back to the elder and I said, we got to look at the makeup of this committee. You know what? There's about four or five. They're all bean counters. Sorry. They are uh, accountants. <laughs> and their job is to keep within the line. I said, we got to balance this thing. So the next year, we got two sales guys and two accountants. And the sales guy said, 10%. And the accountant said, 0%. And so we took faith and we took prudence. And I think we came up with 5 or 7% or something like that. And the elder said, to heck with that. And we had a 15% budget. Because the elders had a vision, and, and they were moving out. But each person was doing their job. And so you see how these things get balanced in their life, but they can go too far one way or the other. And the angel says, you've gone too far. What you just did was unbelief. You went too far. And he says, and here's the deal. Uh, you are going to be silent, not able to speak until the day this happens. Well, if you got your outline there, first of all, dead hope. The hope was dead, the hope of a son, the hope of a child, because they were too old, like those dead bones they couldn't produce. And then hope was doubted, okay? But now he's punished. Hold on a minute. Mary asked her question. Can't ask questions around here? And Mary's was answered. But Mary's was not doubting. Mary's was a teenage girl, and he's telling her something's going to happen. never happened in history before. And she was not punished. He was punished because he said, you're not believing. Well, what's the difference? Well, we've got a thing. We have the Westminster Standard, the uh, Confession of Faith, the larger catechism. There's a lot of Q&A, big, long answers, and a lot of questions. And the shorter has short answers for children. And... In the larger catechism, it says this, are all transgressions of the law of God, which equals sin, equally heinous in themselves and in the sight of God. This was written in the 1640s. You ever use the word heinous today? Well, you know what it means. It's not good. All transgressions of the law of God are not equally heinous. Do you think that all sins are equal? That's not what Scripture says. But some sins in themselves and by reason of several aggravations are more, hein are more heinous in the sight of God than others. Now, in the larger catechism, every word in there has a superscript number. And at the bottom are scripture references for every word, every phrase. In fact, in my copy, is one sentence at the top and the rest of the page is scripture quotes. I left it out, you know, for reason of space here. What are those aggravations that make some sins more heinous than others? You notice down answer, sins receive their aggravations, and there's one, two. You see that? There are actually five paragraphs, and I recommend you to it. It's online. From the persons offending, if they be of riper age. Anybody here of riper age? Mary? Zechariah, 
How about greater life experience? Mary? Zechariah? Grace. He'd been worshiping the temple all his life. Eminent for profession of faith. Well, that's, that's, a, prop, that's, a, that's a priest. Gifts. Place. He was an elderly propertyed man. Office. He was a prophet. Guides to others. And whose example is likely to be followed by others. Do you understand now why he was punished and Mary was not? Because his sin was aggravated and made more heinous by these things right here. Look at the second one. From the parties offended, if immediately against God. Yeah, this is immediately against God. His attributes, love, omnipotence, and worship against Christ and his grace, the Holy Spirit and his witness. And he goes, by the way, workings against superiors. One of the next paragraphs in here talks about the relationship of inferiors and superiors. You know, like mother, uh, mother and child or boss and employee. And when it gets into inferiors there, if we had just followed that, there wouldn't have been a Me Too movement. And there wouldn't have been a Bill Clinton and a trial. So I commend this to you as a great resource, and you can go and read those scriptures and understand. And we as officers and elders, sometimes when we are in a situation where someone has sinned, we ask ourselves, based on these things, how heinous is this sin? And that helps determine the uh, discipline that's taken. We have a guide here from the Word of God. And that helps explain why he was punished and Mary was not. But look at the punishment. He wasn't killed. No one died. It was, in fact, Elizabeth said, I kind of like it. You know, a year of silence. <laughs> Couldn't talk for a year. I've been listening to him all my life year of silence before it was a gracious gentle thing wasn't it but here's what I especially like about Zechariah see down there renewed hope okay the baby is born and you got to go over here to uh, chapter 1 verse 57 when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby she gave birth to a son her neighbors and relatives heard the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child they were going to name him after Zechariah he might have said, nope, he's going to be called John. And they said, well, that's not a family name. They made signs of the father. He wrote down on this wax tablet, his name is John. Now, hey, look at here. Immediately his mouth was open and his tongue was loose, and he began to speak praising God. I love that. You see that? Immediately, mouth open, tongue loose. He's speaking, and what is he speaking? He praised to God. And he even had a song for the occasion. And he says, praise be to the Lord. And in Latin, the first word is benedictus. And this is called the benedictus. I'll give you a benediction later. A good word, a blessing. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel because he has come and redeemed his people. He raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets. He's counting on the word of God through the prophets. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our fathers and to remember 
his holy covenant. Genesis 12, 15, the promise to Abraham that he's lying on. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies, to enable us to serve him without fear. That's why America was founded by the pilgrims and the Puritans, so they could find a place where they could worship without fear. In holiness and righteousness before him all our days, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. You will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet to the path of peace. What I like about Zechariah, there are times when the circumstances are going to say no, but then the promise of God is going to say yes. And there are going to be times that we fail and pay a price. God is not mocked. Whatever we sow, we shall reap. And sometimes we don't believe God and we pay the price. But pray, God, that in his mercy it will be a gentle price the way it was with Zechariah. But then God answers the prayer. God honors his promise. And we can come back strong. You see that? It's not an endless pit, bottomless pit. You can fail and still come back and say, I got it all wrong. God is able and God is willing and God answers prayer. And God has done great thing. Loose my mouth. Open my lips. Let me praise him and say, blessed be God. See, that's what I want. I want to be able to come back from those things. And that's why it's called mercy of God. He allows us to come back. He let Jonah come back, who fled away from God, told him to do, trying to go to Tarsus in Spain, threw him off the boat, threw him in a fish, and he came back. And what did he do? He went and did what God told him to do to begin with. Second chances through the mercy of God. So if Zechariah is every man to me, because sometimes I doubt the power and the passion, compassion of God, he can also be every man to me. I can come back strong. And that becomes my witness to people. I understand how you feel. I've been there. It looks dark. It doesn't look possible. But Abraham had Isaac. Zechariah had John. And God can work in your life. And he will work as he promised. He is willing and able and you will end your days being able to say, blessed be God. Put a blessing on God because he's able and willing. That's the story of the death of hope. Dry bones through the power of God can stand again and serve. You're in a dry spell? Feel dead at times? Turn to God and his promise. It may be slow as the way may measure it, but he is able and willing. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Zechariah. We see ourselves in him sometimes because we doubt you and how terrible that is. Father, give us the grace to keep our punishment, our, the results that we reap, gentle and merciful. And give us the grace to end our days saying, blessed be God who can be trusted 
who is able and willing and keeps his promises. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.